This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. and welcome to Making Space, the Diversity Dialogue. I'm your host, Cole. This is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. As of June 15th of 2020, the Supreme Court ruled that the LGBTQ plus workers are now protected from discrimination under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. This was an incredible ruling and win for this community because in many states, including Texas, LGBTQ plus individuals could legally be denied jobs and be fired from their jobs just because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. In light of this ruling, I have brought a familiar voice back on the show, Emily Van Kirk, to help discuss the implications of this newly defined Title VII and what it is like being a bisexual, non-binary employee in the workplace. Welcome back, Emily. Are you excited to talk about this? Always. Howdy, Cole. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I think we'll just uh, go right into like the, the background behind this particular ruling so we can discuss how this ruling even came about in the first place. So Title VII of the Civil Rights Act in uh, 1964 prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. There has been some discourse and some discussion around uh, the meaning of sex in that particular title um, of the Civil Rights Act for a very long time to whether it really includes or excludes sexual orientation and gender identity. Yes. So some fun facts about this, this is something I've recently learned in my education when studying Title VII. Um, Originally, the word sex wasn't included in the first draft of that uh, act. It was actually added as a way to try and get people to be against or slow down the passage of it and then it passed. Um, That's a fun fact from my management course. Um, And the, the interpretation of the word sex is always interesting in law because a lot of times people want to use it very strictly to define like a biological sex. And then right. we start talking about sex discrimination. And when we talk about sex discrimination, we're usually talking about the expectation that someone might behave a certain way based upon their sex. So it's been argued that if you discriminate against a woman because she doesn't present femininely enough, that's sex-based discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also been argued that if you discriminate against a woman because she has a female partner rather than a male partner, that might be sex-based discrimination, right? right. Um, and so then people have started to try to argue that, all right, well, if you're arguing that um, I, as a biological female, I hate that phrase, but we'll, we'll use it for the sake of argument. Mm-hmm. I, as a biological female, present too masculinely for your um, argument, because I'm presenting as a male and I'm transitioning for whatever reason. I'm I'm not, I'm non-binary, but let's say I was a man transitioning to a male presentation. You could argue that that is discriminating against me based on stereotypes that you hold. And it's a sex-based discrimination. Right, right. So you haven't seen a ton of this come up with Title VII, but it's been tried in the past with Title IX. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, um, or actually in 2014, there was some Dear Colleague guidance put forth under the Obama administration that um, was supporting 
trans youth using restrooms that aligned with their held gender identities, not the ones right. that were necessarily affirmed on their birth certificates, but the ones that they personally affirmed, right? And the argument was that to do otherwise was a form of sex-based discrimination because you were arguing that their gender identity didn't align with your expectations based on their assigned sex at birth, and therefore you were discriminating against them. Mm -hmm. um, this was then reversed in 2017, but that's where you can kind of start to see really the turning point in using sex-based discrimination as an argument uh, for trans rights in these cases. So this has been coming for a while, but yes. it's been interesting to see it come up in employment of all places, because something that people don't necessarily always think about is how under-resourced the trans community is. So for example, um, something you'll often hear references is that the average life expectancy for an African-American trans woman is about 34 years old. I'm gonna say that wow. again. The average life expectancy for a trans woman of color is about, or an African-American trans woman specifically is about 34 years old. That that's so young. That's absolutely young. for reference. I'm 29. So it's just that's a few more years. Yeah. Five years. I haven't even been out of college for five years, fully. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times there are contributing factors to this. Most pressingly, a lack of medical care um, and poverty. Being poor kills. And do you know what makes you real poor? Not having real, a job. Real poor. Yeah, not being able to get employment and not being safe in your place of employment. And if you're worried about discrimination in your place of employment, it can get a lot more complicated. So this has been a pretty foundational decision. Right, it's a lot so. more complicated than people originally think when they hear this, especially people who aren't in the community. They think sex-based discrimination, and a lot of times they think of, like, the glass ceiling um, with mm -hmm. women. Um and it's just a lot more complicated than that. And we need to have those protections associated. So that it's yeah. nice that we're finally getting to that. And even then, I mean, it gets a lot different. The discrimination that a, a white woman might face in the workplace is different than the discrimination a Latino woman might face or right. a black woman might face, right? So mm -hmm. even then, there are different nuances we could get into. But it's a big deal because previously, I mean, there was nothing to prevent someone from firing me for being non-binary. Mm -hmm. They could have written it down on the fire slip, fired for being queer, right. fired because I don't like their gender, and I would have had nothing. Right. Now, on the flip side of that, we are still at an at-will state, so unless they actually do write down fired for being non-binary, and I have some kind of proof that they have an issue with my gender, I could still lose my job tomorrow. Like, this is... This is great. I do not mean to denigrate this progress, mm -hmm. but it is, it, it's progress. Right. It and is progress. progress implies a need for continued progress. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I mean, it's progress in the sense that we finally have some sort of um, standard. Absolutely. Of, like you shouldn't do this and, and um, legally you can't do this. However, it, there's still the kind of fear a little bit in the back of your mind well um they could think of something else uh, yeah. just to write down um and you missed the spot over there right right uh the You're violating dress code there exactly yeah. exactly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and dress code's a funny one for a lot of trans folks because dress codes are typically very gendered or very binary mm -hmm. so uh that's a fun one to typically catch folks on but this 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 case was 
foundational and just revolutionary for a lot of people because it affected so many folks. An estimated 7.1 million LGBT people and 1 million transgender people are now somewhat protected from the effects of discrimination in the workplace, right? Right. That's an incredible change. And you think about that, that's that many people who were scared to even talk about their gender identity or their sexual orientation at work or just, you know, have that conversation because there's casual conversation at work, but most people don't have to be afraid of what they say or what they um, maybe what, even what they do outside of work. Like one of the cases that was involved in this ruling was of a gay man who joined, um, was it a gay baseball team? Uh, So, I mean, he was just doing something outside of work. He was doing something recreational and fun. And his work then fired him for joining that recreational softball team. The softball team. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really interesting to me because, I mean, your, your professional life and your personal life, they might overlap to a certain degree, but it shouldn't have any bearing. If I like to go right. to a, you know, um, a concert or if I want to watch some roller derby or if I'm a member of a local LGBT support group, like that's not relevant to my career typically. Right. As long if somebody's a member your of a church, it's not relevant to their career typically. So why are certain types of extra career affiliations held more liable? I do find that really interesting. I will say that it's also really cool because prior to this decision, there were 27 states in the union that lacked explicit protections. And this is per the Williams Center or the Williams Institute out of the um, University of California law. Um, Right. And I will include that in the description. So yes. Wonderful. And it's just really interesting to me that we can advocate so strongly for the land of the free, the home of the brave, and for taking care of folks in our communities. And, and, you know, over half our states weren't protecting their citizens. Mm-hmm. It, it's a big so, disconnect there um, and, and people don't really understand it until it's brought up so I will say at the same time that we got these protections in the workplace um, it's now currently legal for a medical provider to deny mm-hmm. me service yeah it that came at a very interesting time it was right before this ruling mm-hmm. um, which is the uh, removal of protections for transgender people um, in healthcare. And, and that of course includes non-binary folks too, because mm-hmm. that transgender is a um, umbrella term used by people sometimes. Yep, so, yep. Yeah. And I, I'm not gonna talk about that at length. I just think it's really interesting because when we talk about progress, we often think of it as an across the board equal thing, but we don't make mm-hmm. these progress steps in one even motion. A lot of times it's a cha-cha. It's a cha-cha slide, you're going back and forth, okay? Yes. And a lot of times it's frustrating because when you look at the history of advocacy, particularly for the rights of LGBT folks, particularly for the rights of people of color, particularly for the rights of women, there are times we've had to advocate for things that you shouldn't have had to advocate for. Right. It, it should have just been something that was already there and already assumed um, in those inalienable rights, right? But mm-hmm. it, it was taken away <laughs> or it wasn't ever given. Um, and like, there have been policies and and laws put into place specifically to bar people, mm-hmm. not to actually give people rights. 
um, mm -hmm. like this uh, transgender and healthcare policy and the transgender and military policies um, and uh, LGBTQ plus people and being able to work for the federal government, any of yeah. those things. Um, it's it's often, specific. yeah, it's often interesting to talk to people because they, they sometimes see the advocacy happening in the legal setting. And they're like, okay, but why do you have to go to the courts with it? And I often have to respond, well, because it's always taken place in the courts. So when you think about it, um, laws have been made regulating queer folks since we've had laws. Mm -hmm. There have been laws against being queer for a very long time. Um, I'm not going to go back into the entire history of it, but for reference, um, it wasn't until it wasn't until 1973 that we took being LGBT, being homosexual, out of the American Psychiatric Manual as a disorder. Right, the DSM. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it wasn't until 1993, with the passage of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, that we actually repealed the uh, 1953, I believe it's 53, let me check my notes here, 1953 Executive Order 10450 issued by Eisenhower that banned homosexuals from working in the government. The mm -hmm. reason that we have to do things through the legal system is that people have made laws to prevent us from participating in society. Right. The reason that we have to fight legally to get our right to marry is because somebody made it illegal for us to marry. The reason that we have to fight legally is because somebody made it illegal for us to have sex with each other. Mm. Which no one, no one ever made it illegal for people to have sex in a heterosexual consenting relationship. Well, actually, technically they did because they defined sodomy a very specific way. And if two heterosexuals have <laughs> sodomistic relations, it's still technically illegal in a couple of states yeah. but <laughs> nobody nobody uh nobody's out here just wanted to fight the law for funsies it's right. something that came up because somebody tried to regulate queerness out of american society and i'm not saying like big boogie man but these things don't come up organically right there's a reason response. for this Right. There's a reason for all of this. And it, it's not, you wouldn't go through all of this issue and all of the backlash for no reason. Here it is. It was 2003. 2003, Lawrence v. Texas. It was a Texas Supreme Court decision. A Kansas law criminalizing gay or lesbian sex was declared unconstitutional. It's that recent. Wow. It's that recent. I mean, if you think about it, we have... Um... LGBTQ plus people weren't allowed to get married until 2015. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's only five years ago. Exactly. Exactly. And so when you have to advocate for your rights through a legal system that doesn't necessarily see you as full people to begin with. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, so that's just, that's my, my little spiel there about yes. different laws, laws and law cases that you can find. There's some really great resources online that'll walk you through the timelines, particularly things like No Hate and Prop 8, mm -hmm. the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell in 2010. Right. And, and of course, we do have the win that we had um, recently. With Which is fantastic. And people in the workplace, exactly, it is fantastic. But there's still a lot to fight for. And I think um, some people don't really understand 
why we're still fighting is it's because there are still a lot of things that have no protection um mm -hmm. like we mentioned transgender rights in healthcare uh transgender rights in the military transgender mm -hmm. students um using the bathroom and being protected in a public in public schools even because mm -hmm. that was taken away and I'm gonna throw this one out there. The LGBTQ plus panic defense. So the trans panic defense in the game <sighs> um, is, you, still, yeah. is still legal in uh, some states. And it's not protected or not banned federally, so. Let me state that plainly because mm -hmm. you just said that real polite. The LGBT panic defense is when somebody claims, oh my God, I freaked out, someone was gay and then I killed them. Exactly. And then they get away with it. Yeah, and that, that is an accepted defense in some states. I don't have the number, but it's still out there and it still can be um, used. And, and that's and incredible. Like, why has that not gone away? Like, and that goes back to how there are laws and policies that were put into place to oppress LGBTQ plus people, not to help us, but to oppress us still. And then there is, of course, discrimination on same-sex couples in adoption. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of adoption agencies won't adopt to same-sex couples. Um, and then businesses still have the right to discriminate against LGBTQ plus individuals on the basis of religious obligation as well. And that's a big one here in the South. I found um, the states in which the panic defense has been banned. Okay. California, Illinois, Rhode Island, Nevada, Connecticut, Hawaii, New York, New Jersey, and Washington. Not one of those banned it more recently than, or more further back than 2014. Mm -hmm. Those have all been banned between 2014 and 2020. Wow. That, that's how recent. So I can right. be very passionate and sometimes people can, can be like, okay, Emily, you need to calm down. But it's seriously, if you take someone home and you you get naked with them and you're like i found something i didn't want to find the response is not to bash somebody's head in right it is not to kill them that is not okay at all in any sort of way and it's okay to have religious standings and to have feelings and to have opinions and that's all right but children still need a home exactly exactly i have strong opinions here <laughs> it, yeah and like you said it's okay to have strong opinions there's a lot of stuff that is still worth fighting for right and there's and there is a bill being introduced in texas against the trans and gay panic defense so okay i did not know that so i'm glad you brought that up <laughs> there are websites dedicated to revoking the trans and gay panic defense mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of advocacy directed towards that right thank right. god um do you want to talk about how your experiences have been um, as a non-binary person and as a bisexual person in the workplace? Sure. I'm going to address those as two separate questions because they really okay. are. Yes. Um, so as a bisexual person, it's generally okay because I'm an acceptable flavor of queer. Um, I date a lot of men. I'm polyamorous. So I, I do sometimes date people outside of my primary partner, but the partner that a lot of people know is a man. So a lot mm -hmm. of times they just kind of ignore the fact that I'm LGBT. Um, right. And so Thinking. I don't catch a lot of flack. 
you can, can pass. pass as straight. And what we mean by that is just that people can look at you and say, oh, okay, that person's straight without yes. really thinking about it. It's the heteronormativity that we mentioned in a previous episode, actually the first episode of this podcast. Yep. If y'all uh, listeners want to go back to that um, for yep. in-depth on the community. So it's a little uncomfortable for me. Like I don't enjoy that experience, but it gives me a lot of safety. So when I was working in service oriented jobs and I dealt with the public a lot, like I was just fine being clocked as a straight person 90% of the time. It's okay. Um, here I work really really hard to get flagged as queer as much as possible because it's good for me to connect with students because if students see that I'm visibly queer they're more likely to come to me when they want to talk about queer issues or if they are mm -hmm. also queer uh, but it, it takes work but this is also the first job I've been at where I was safe to be out like that and, um, and it's just, because of my immediate environment right and will you just uh state what you do again for the listeners <laughs> That's true. Um, I work for the Office of Diversity and Inclusion in international programs. I primarily uh, oversee our campus-wide programming, and I like to focus on our LGBTQ stuff, but I, I handle all of our campus-wide programming. LGBTQ right. plus and disability stuff is kind of a special interest of mine, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So you have a, a lot of knowledge, and it, in a way, is good for you to be queer in your position. It's helpful. Like you were saying. It makes me approachable and safe. Mm -hmm. I think it would be harder for me if I was like a, a very, very obviously straight, maybe super Christian person because it might make others less comfortable approaching me because right. not all Christians dislike LGBT folks, but a lot of LGBT folks may be nervous around religious folks. Right, there could be. And I think y'all have talked problems. about that before. Mm -hmm. Or no, I've talked about it. that in a diversity dialogue. Yes, I think we might have mentioned That's it. what I did. Mm-hmm. I Although that really... topic is coming up soon, so uh, okay. on the list of podcasts. So for listeners, if you're interested, keep updated because I'm thinking about doing an LGBTQ plus and religion episode. So I think it's a fascinating intersection because a ton of my LGBT friends are also religious. And so it's fun to try and navigate that because I want people to have that safe space. Right. Um, but yeah, so this job I've been really comfortable and safe to be out at, um, mostly because of my immediate like circle of support. Um, and it hasn't been an issue. And then uh, after I was on the job here for, I don't know, a year and a half, I came out as non-binary, which I've known for a while, mm -hmm. but I just was not in a safe position to come out for a variety right. of reasons. Um, and non-binary is a gender identity that is, kind of, one, an umbrella term for a lot of people, and two, mm -hmm really not well understood. So I'm AFAB, I'm assigned female at birth. I do not identify with womanhood. I identify with womanhood in the sense that I understand other people see me and they see a woman. Right. <laughs> and I identify with womanhood in the sense that I receive misogyny. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like I, yes. I receive the end of the stick sometimes, excuse my language, uh, when it comes to the way that society wants to treat women. I do not identify with womanhood as a gender. I'm a very much not into gender. I do not identify with gender. I am an agender person. Which just means Which, without gender. Yes. Uh, for listeners, agender just yes. means without gender. Yes. Which can be really difficult for other people to absorb, which is why I didn't bother telling anybody for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um and then I also had a lot of upbringing that made me like super into like having to perform a gender role. 
Right. So when I kind of unpacked that for myself and I got this job and I met the people that I met, I knew a lot of people. I'm trying not to say anything I shouldn't say. I had a lot of students in my life that I wanted to be able to be visible. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wanted to be visible for people who might not be ready to be themselves. Mm-hmm. And I figured that I was in a place where I could do it. Now, do people respect my gender identity at work? I would say that in my immediate circle, that's true. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's necessarily uh, well understood. There's still a lot of social norms that you're expected to participate in as uh, AFAB or assigned female at birth or instead of being a non-binary person you are still kind of expected to wear certain things or present in a feminine manner even though you are non-binary and should be able to present however you'd like. Right or even just the simple things of like please don't call me ma'am it's been two and a half years and I've been asking and begging right. like it's it's the simplest thing and I understand that it's meant as a sign of respect but if someone you've known for years is asking you it does not make me feel respected do not use that term with me it's no longer respect if you keep using it mm-hmm. like I know that probably is a little hard to hear for some people because I also am a yes ma'am no ma'am Yes or no, right. sir. Especially here in the South, it's uh, kind of ingrained as you grow up to use those terms as respect. But there are some instances where it's disrespect, especially if you already know that it's something that person doesn't like. Making a mistake is one thing, a continued pattern is another. Or like uh, when people make jokes about my pronouns or refuse to use my pronouns or uh, make jokes about how I'll change my mind. And a lot of these Mm -hmm. are things that like people do off the cuff and they probably do not mean anything serious about. And that's the, uh, that's the other really challenging thing about it. So that's actually why I decided to come out is because I have non-binary students on campus because Mm -hmm. I know non-binary students on campus. And if this is the type of reception I get from well-meaning peers as a professional, where they're just slightly uncomfortable and they make little jokes and they mess up my pronouns and they mess up my honorifics and it's not a big deal and please don't get upset and well you should really just calm down how are my how are my students being treated Mm -hmm. so a person a non-binary person in your workplace it really means a mentoring role for students and almost a person that paves the way for future non-binary employees and even just lgbtq plus employees trans employees like while you're kind of this front line and you get hit with a lot of things you're just trying to make sure people understand and people know that it's not okay to do some things it's not okay to say some things just around the water cooler and it's important to respect people in the future and I will say, like, my, my office, my boss, my VP, like, the people I work with directly are fantastic, and I mm-hmm. couldn't name, like, a specific person who's intentionally caused me harm. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't. It's just that people don't realize the impact that their words have. So, and I definitely, you're right, 
you're right when it comes to the I, I don't want to call myself a mentor I'm very uncomfortable with that language but, okay, I'm sorry no 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 you're fine I just would never refer to myself that way when I went to Charleston I didn't know anybody in leadership or who worked for the university who was LGBT mm-hmm. there very well may have been I didn't know they anyone. just weren't out or they weren't out to me presence, right? or I knew one person but we're not going to name names that kind of thing but it's really impactful to me to be able to be as out as I am on campus and do the programming that I do Mm-hmm. it's a big deal and so when I realized that I could be open about this and that um I didn't care about burning bridges with my family <laughs> over it mm-hmm. um it was worth it because I knew that I was going to have my boss's support he was going to have his boss's support and all the way up because the one thing I will say 110 percent is that Tarleton does not condone discrimination based on gender or sex or sexuality and they have it for a long time like based on the non-discrimination policy that I was handed when I entered the office when I started working on Ally we have been about honoring people's expressed gender identity mm-hmm. and that's big considering that I mean it is. a lot of times people just adhere to what the minimum level is and that is not what Tarleton right. was doing right that, that's amazing. Now, has this ruling, since we're getting into Tarleton a little bit more, has this ruling changed anything about Tarleton, at least uh, in the workplace for employees? We were already at the standard that this ruling sets. So, so no. not really. No. <laughs> Just keep, keep on keeping on, basically. Yep. It does change Texas, though. Yes. Because yes, we are... We were one of the uh, 27 states you mentioned before mm-hmm. that did not have protection, protections for LGBTQ plus people and, mm-hmm. and transgender workers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, I'm looking at my notes here and I think we covered a lot. Just that it's important to do your research and keep an open mind. Um, as much as I say, like, oh, people said things or did things that may have hurt me without them realizing it, I do the same thing. So when I say that, keep in mind that I mean I can do that to other people. People mm-hmm. can do that to me. Cole's probably done that to people. I've probably yeah. done that to Cole. Um, so when I say that, that's never meant as like a, you should feel bad and be scared of offending the poor little trans people. No. All I mean by that is that you are not necessarily aware of the total impact of your actions. Mm-hmm which sounds like a dumb statement, but hear me out. Um, Because you're not necessarily aware of the total experience of the people you're impacting, right? Right, exactly. They have different experiences growing up. They have different experiences with their own self-identity and their outward identity that um, they present to people. Mm -hmm. So you never know what is going on within someone and Mm -hmm. what could... um, bring something up from the past or Mm -hmm. even be said and taken the wrong way. Right. So for instance, I'm really comfortable with expressing myself physically in a fairly femme way because that one, I just don't, it takes a lot of work for me to get a masculine physical presentation. Mm. (laughs) I don't got that kind of of time. So it means (laughs) a lot to me for people to drop the honorifics. That's why it has such a big impact. Right. Right. On the flip side, I also have to be willing to accept that people may not intend harm and be open to reconnection, right? So my only thing I want to say and close on this is 
one, do your research. There's tons of information out there. Cole's going to link all kinds of fantastic resources. Yes. Yes, Two, great. I am a resource. I'm here for you. I mean, a resource in the sense that I will send you more resources and mm-hmm. that I will have this conversation with you. I have the spoons. I will talk to you. It's okay. Right. right. You can ask me the offensive question. I don't care. And three, it's okay if you accidentally hurt someone as long as you're willing to talk to them about it. Right. As long as you just keep that open form of communication to rebuild that relationship there and even build a stronger relationship because you understand now what they're going through and, yeah. and build it. Yep. Because the issue is when you dismiss the harm because you're not experiencing it. I don't know if that, that makes sense, but that's the big takeaway. Cause I know I went on kind of a tangent about the, the ma'am and miss there, but like, I, I don't want people to go, Oh God, I can't talk to Emily no more, but no, just, you just need to know how to go. Oh, Hey, I didn't realize that, that would hurt. My bad. Right. Cause I want to do the same for you, you Cole and you, the listeners and you, the community, because I think that Tarleton is a better community when we work together to be a better family. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I love my family. Yes. Thank you so much for coming back on and hopefully we'll get you on in the future and we'll do some more um, LGBTQ plus topics. Hopefully I didn't ramble too much. (laughs) No, definitely not. All right, folks. I want to thank Emily Van Kirk once again. They brought some really interesting discussion points to us about legislature and about just seeing what other people's experiences are in their personal experiences as a non-binary employee in the workplace and a bisexual employee in the workplace. So that was incredibly interesting. If you guys do want to learn more about the three court cases that sparked this particular ruling on June 15th of 2020, I I will link sources in the description for those three cases that was two of two cases in regards to gay men and then one case about a transgender woman keep updated by following us on instagram facebook and twitter at the planet 100.7 that is the radio station that we are based out of until next time folks stay safe and take care This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from AJ Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.